The information provided in this show is intended for your general knowledge only and is not intended to be, nor is it, medical advice or a substitute for medical advice. If you have or suspect you have a specific medical condition or disease, please consult your health care provider. Now listening to The Health Hero Show with Tim James. <laughs> What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here, founder of ChemicalFreeBody.com and your host for the show that simplifies and demystifies how to live an energetic life with a flat belly. So if you're into a healthy gut and staying young, then this is the show for you. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here with another exciting episode of The Health Hero Show. Today in the house, I've got Joshua Fulton. And uh, he is going to be sharing his story and his wife's story about cancer. Uh, he has a book called Cancer Self-Defense 101. I will put the link uh, in the show notes for you guys so you can check it out uh, if you want to go purchase the book. It's, uh, he has a link to Amazon. You guys know I'm not really big on Amazon at all, but that's where his book's at. So uh, I think it's worth every once in a while you got to bend a little bit to get some good stuff. Um, so Cancer Self-Defense 101, it's got a lot of really good reviews. He's put a lot of tips and tricks. Um, there is a sad, obviously, a, there's a sad story behind it with him and his wife. Um, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to have him on is because when we have these tragedies, when we have all this contrast in our life, these things that happen to us, we can reframe that and, and look at them that they've happened for us. Even when there's a death, like the death of my brother, when my brother died, I was, you know, I didn't have the skill sets emotionally or spiritually at that time to deal with it that I have now. I've completely reframed my brother's death into a positive benefit. Obviously, he, uh, you know, he came to this planet. He did what he needed to do exactly went and left the way he wanted and um, created a tremendous amount of contrast for me, which basically got me over my you know, not believing in myself and me being a scaredy cat to go out and really truly help people the way I was born and designed to at a deep level, at a fundamental level, but um, I just didn't know it. And so instead of playing small, my brother's death was able to catapult me um, to get over all my fear of who am I to be talking to people about their health when that's all I could think about, that's all I talk about, that's what I study, and I practiced on myself and became a living laboratory and basically completely healed myself. And for those of you that have been following me for a long time, um, I just keep getting healthier. And every time I think I can't get healthier, I learn something new from somebody else, and I add it in, and it, when it works, I keep it, and I just keep, I'm like, it keeps blowing my mind. This is like 13 years of this. I, I, I was like, Josh and I, we were just talking about, you know, he's got a little bit of a cold right now. I haven't been sick in years until just recently. It was recently. And then I got really sick. And it was, I was sick, for, and it's because I had a soup, uh, like a week and a half of lack of sleep, right? And so sleep, it doesn't matter how high your immune system is. If you do something like don't get really good sleep for a long time, you can crash and you can get a cold. And one thing you shouldn't do is beat yourself up for it. You should just recognize that, okay, well, I got sick. And um, what, 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 what caused that and what could I do to avoid it next time and keep my immune system? And what can I do in a loving way to love myself more so that doesn't happen? But it does happen from time to time. So, Joshua, my friend, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. No problem. No problem. Well, let's go to your backstory and, uh, you know, where'd you grow up and how'd you meet your wife and, yeah. and all that stuff. 
Well, I'm from Massachusetts and I came down to North Carolina to go to grad school um, for creative writing at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And I met Katrina, like so many people do online. And um, we started dating and, you know, we have four children together, um, kind of like a rags to riches story. You know, I, I barely had uh, money to pay for the gas to drive from Wilmington, North Carolina to Brunswick County, North Carolina at first. And then I started uh, several successful businesses. Um, she actually got me into my first business, which was Absorb Health. It's a dietary supplement business. It was a cancer scare that she had um, when we first started dating. And I started looking into dietary supplements for, for that purpose. Um, she had her first diagnosis of cancer in December of uh, 2013. Mm. It was uh, stage three melanoma. And sometimes they're kind of like fuzzy on these reports. Like, was it in her lungs? Was it not in her lungs? I don't know. But um, they did surgery on the main tumor. And then they gave her um, this thing that's endogenous to us called interferon. But they give it at such high doses, it creates um, a really strong reaction in people. Um, so interferon she got really sick from it and she couldn't eat for a long time. And between the interferon and probably not eating, um, she was cured quote unquote of her cancer for a good six years. And, and then it came back. Mm. Um, you know, we were kind of lulled into complacency. We, she was told by her oncologist that if you, you know, if you're cancer free for five years, you're cancer free forever. You know, she said something like that to me. That was not the case. Um, she went through a period of stress and she was diagnosed again. Um, this time was stage four cancer uh, in December of 2019. How old was Katrina? Well, she passed when she was um, 35. So she must've been, she was 33 at the time. Um, She didn't have it easy, very strong, beautiful woman. And for whatever reason, she just got dealt the wrong cards um, in terms of just getting cancer and having so many ailments from a young age. She got um, a full scholarship to Duke university when she was in high school. And, you know, she was in the hospital when she was in high school, not with cancer, but with something else. And she couldn't take the classes that she needed to, to go to Duke to fulfill the scholarship. So like she had, she had problems for a long time. Um, so she had three seven centimeter tumors in her liver and she had gone to the doctors, you know, at least four doctors in the preceding six months. And they all told her it was constipation or pain and they gave her a painkiller or they gave her nothing and they kicked her out. And finally, this physician's assistant in the emergency room um, did the right test and, you know, it flipped our world upside down. Yeah. Okay, so you, uh, what age was she diagnosed? 
Um, I mean, it must have been like, hmm. I mean, for this most recent time, it, it must have been like 33. But before, but before that, you know, it must have been uh, 27. Okay. Which is not good. I mean, like, when they're asking questions about like your family history, they don't simply ask like, do you have a relative who's died of cancer? And they say, do you have a relative who's died of cancer before 35 years old? As a matter of fact, we do. Hmm. Yeah. Well, how, how old were your children at this time? Well, Sarah, my oldest, um, she would have been like 15. You know, Grace would have been 11. Leah had just turned four. Um, Jacob was like six. So, yeah. All, pretty, all, all pretty you know, young. Pretty young. So what was that like? I mean, you were probably doing a lot of doctor's appointments, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Did she ever have to have, like, ports put in her? Was it, was there... Yeah, yeah. Um, there's something similar to a port called the pick line. Yeah. Where they they do that very similar to a port so that they don't have to continuously inject someone. They have a site where they can put in any kind of medication. It could be pain medication or chemotherapy or whatever. Um, at first I, all right. So I remember back when I started my dietary supplement company, which was kind of fueled by this cancer scare that Katrina had, I looked up curcumin, which is from turmeric, uh, turmeric, and it has a long history of, um, fighting cancer. And I remember seeing this mouse study where they gave one mouse curcumin and one mouse they didn't. And you could see the tumor on the back of one mouse. It's like that big, like golf, golf ball size big. And on the other one it was gone. So I had this awareness of um, that, that things could be done integratively to fight cancer in the back of my mind this entire time. But it wasn't always easy um, being heard or convincing Katrina. Um, she had been cured by this doctor, you know, back in 2013. Um, she thought the same medicine would, would work again. They actually didn't give her interferon, that medicine that they had given her previously, because things were supposedly bigger and better. You know, they had improvements now. Um, but the, the two medicines, um, a targeted gene therapy is called a BRAF, uh, like BRAF uh, MEC inhibitor. And it worked really great at first with very few, um, very few side effects. So those three tumors went from seven centimeters a piece to three or four centimeters a piece within a few months. And we just thought we were coasting on easy street until it stopped working. Um, then she took, you know, Katrita is basically the one that everyone knows. It's an $18 billion drug. Um, it's approved for at least 22 cancer types. And they paired it um, with this other immune modulating drug called Yervoid. And, you know, that's kind of the big shiny new object for cancer treatment. 
They're called anti-PD-1 drugs. And that had a really bad, had really bad side effects on Katrina. Um, and about the same time, they found a shadow in her brain. And the oncologist was like, I don't know if it's a shadow or if it's a tumor. Let's just wait and see um, what this, you know, like Katruda and your boy do, thinking that it would be enough to to be brain penetrant and like eradicate the shadow or tumor or whatever. It turns out it was a tumor. Um, you know, we live about three hours away from UNC Chapel Hill and Katrina was having such bad side effects from, you know, the anti-PD-1 drugs. She had to be rushed to the emergency room several times and she was impatient in um, the hospital down here for about a month. And, you know, she wasn't in, in the care of her oncologist in Chapel Hill. You know, she was in the care of the local hospital down here. They didn't do an MRI for this supposed shadow in her brain. So cut to a month later, it's like right after um, like the new year in 2021. She has all this pain in her brain and they finally do a CT and then an MRI and turns out that she has like eight brain tumors in her brain and the one shadow that they had seen was the mother of them all it was like now like three centimeters it certainly wasn't a shadow and she went on like that um with radiation and I, I don't have a problem with radiation you know like radiation was it did a good job. Um, I don't have a problem with like really any conventional treatment. I just have a problem with things not being paired with other things that increase survival outcomes. So she had radiation. It worked okay. It gave us some hope for a minute. And then eventually it did it. And the radiation oncologist, you know, he, he couldn't or didn't come right out and say, like, there's a hope for you. But Katrina saw that he was conveying that with his eyes. Mm -hmm. And when she saw that, she realized that we needed to do something else. And we had done like a teeny bit of integrative stuff um, before that, because, you know, like I said, we have many ups and downs and she had been taking off a lot of her medication previously due to side effects. <clears throat> so we're like, we have to do something. So anyways, the one place that would basically take us was in Mexico. It was in Tijuana, Mexico. Yeah. The one the one place where if you mention it in an American hospital, it's like the boogeyman. It's like a chill comes in the hospital. You're going to go to Tijuana? You're going to do all these dangerous, non-standard of care things? Oh, my. We can't be held liable if you do anything like that. We drive across the country for three days because she has so much edema swelling in her brain that she can't have the changes in, in pressure. Effect. Yeah. Airplane, <laughs> airplane from an airplane fight. Yeah. <clears throat> sorry guys. I have a cold. No worries. I'm sorry. And by the way, by the way, everybody three centimeters is just a little over an inch in <laughs> circumference. So it's a, you know, when you're talking about your head having a a tumor in there, one inch is a pretty pretty is a pretty good size one. So, all right. So you guys finally, you know, you 
she sees the look in in the eyes of was it the radiologist? Yeah. Or, yeah, the radiologist, <coughs> and decides to um, uh, start looking for all other routes. You guys drive across the country. You're going down to Tijuana, right. Mexico, to one of these crazy places. What's then? What happened? Yeah. So we drive across the country for three days. She's a warrior. She drives the majority of the time because that's just who she was. I mean, you have the kids with you or somebody, somebody's, somebody's watching the kids, right? Or do you have them with you? Yeah. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> my Like our, our parents. Okay, got it. So we arrive at this clinic. And the first day I see someone with a tumor on their neck about the size of a golf ball. And I was told that it used to be the size of a softball. And she was eating food for the first time in either two or three years. And we saw numerous people like that. I saw with my own eyes people getting out of wheelchairs and walking. And Katrina had a great success too. So she went down there with eight fulminating brain tumors. And within six weeks, she had five. And the five that she had were half the size of what they were originally. And her edema was gone. She was able to fly back, you know, during our stay. We were there for three months. What did you do with the car? I parked it in San Diego. <laughs> okay. Well, let's do this. We're going to take a quick break. We want to get back. I want to wrap. I want to keep going on this story. It's amazing. We'll be right back. Turmeric has been used for thousands of years all across India and Southeast Asia and is one of the best anti-inflammatory compounds on earth. Now you can get these incredible benefits with the new chemical-free body Turmeric 100 liquid drops. This ethically sourced breakthrough solution absorbs over 100 times better than regular turmeric products, eliminating the need to add black pepper. Turmeric 100 helps against inflammation and pain and is made with the same chemical-free body promise. No stimulants, 100% natural, and always made in the USA. Get yours today at chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I'm back with my, my friend Joshua Fulton. All right, so we're wrapping, wrapping on his, uh, his wife's story. She gets diagnosed with cancer. She's in her late 20s. Um, they do a lot of conventional stuff, and it's working, but then the cancer comes back and um, in her 30s. And they're going through conventional treatments again, but they were different, supposedly bigger, better, badder. And things weren't kind of working as well. Um, she was getting some side effects. She looked in the radiologist's eyes, and he realized that, you know, she's got brain tumors, a bunch of them, and that sh they needed to start looking for alternatives. And they came up with uh, a, a healing clinic in Tijuana, Mexico, which is taboo for Western medicine. Um, they don't want to touch any of that stuff so because it's crazy and bad. Um, well, it's like, why are these clinics existing and why are they, you know, there's such a demand. What was the name of that clinic you went to, Joshua? Um, oh, my gosh. It was not Oasis of Healing. Im Immunity Therapy Center. I, okay. I, don't, I don't recommend it uniformly. Um, now, I, I will – the caveat is everyone who I saw go there, with the possible exception of one person, was left better 
than when they arrive. So you might say, how can you not recommend it uniformly? Knowing what I know now, they don't prescribe any off-label drugs because their prescriptions aren't valid in the U.S. So if you can um, get an integrative oncologist in the U.S., I think that would be superior. Um, but some of these oncologists are expensive in the U.S. It's my my goal to start an affordable integrative uh, clinic in the U.S. Awesome. Okay, so yeah. you go down there and you're seeing other people get better. What was making them better? I guess talk us. What what, what were they doing down <laughs> down there as far as diet, lifestyle choices, and any medicines and that kind of stuff? Therapies. I think a lot of it was intravenous vitamin C. Um, they would do that a lot. People would continue to take their traditional medications too. Yeah. Um, was this like a hundred milligram dose every day or what was it? Oh, no, no. It is an intervene. It's, it's basically like one gram per kilogram. So you're taking like 50 grams intravenously. If you're, if you're taking oral vitamin C during cancer treatment, um, it's debatable, to be honest. I've seen um, studies. Is that, when it's one, is that one gram per kilogram of body weight? Mm-hmm. Okay. For, for intravenous vitamin C. I mean, I've seen a study with radiation where oral vitamin C was used and it produced a superior outcome to just normal radiation. But um, in order to really get, so vitamin C is absorbed a lot in the gut. So you need to inject it right into um, the vein where it becomes a pro-oxidant rather than an antioxidant. So a lot of these things um, are, you're kind of synergistically pairing pro-oxidants like heat and intravenous vitamin C. Um, they would, they would do stuff like kind of low grade photodynamic therapy. Um, photodynamic therapy is incredible and it should be the fifth pillar of modern oncology, but I'm not sure about the way they were doing it. Um, it, to be honest, I, I don't know exactly what it was in particular that they were doing that was producing such good results because I think that there is actually a lot more that they could have been doing, um, but they were getting good results. Did they have people changing diet and doing juicing, any of that kind of stuff, or was it just a little, therapy? A little. I mean, they have, um, they have a cafeteria down there. You know, diet is another kind of controversial thing when it comes to cancer treatment. I cover it a little bit in the book. Um, I think the diets that show promise in terms of cancer treatment would be like a vegetarian diet, fasting, <laughs> which is like nothing, and a four-to-one ketogenic diet. Uh, four-to-one being like four fats to like one one carb or gram protein. 
Um, they didn't really adhere to that. Um, but it wasn't an unhealthy diet. They eat a lot of produce in, in Mexico anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the website of this place, the Immunity Therapy Center, I'm looking at their their treatments and stuff like that. It looks like they do a lot of different stuff. I mean, what you can get with just like intravenous vitamin C and heat is probably equally efficacious as most standard of care treatment. And when you pair it with normal standard of care treatments, you know, like my wife was taking, like she was, she was able to get low dose Keytruda in Mexico. So for instance, Keytruda is approved at a certain milligram, like number of milligrams. It's not approved for milligram per pound, right? which results in like nearly an extra billion dollars a year for, I think it's Merck. So the mere, the mere fact that you can get um, a low dose anti-PD-1 drug or immune modulating drug in Mexico is a great benefit. Okay, so you guys did these, these treatments um, and she got better. She got better, and we got really confident. Like I said, we saw we saw many people get better, and you know me, like I'm always thinking of things. I'm like, hey, wait a second, she still has these tumors in her liver. What if we did radiofrequency ablation? Radiofrequency ablation is basically using heat through electricity through like a small cathode insert it into your, your liver. And so we, we spend a little bit of extra money. We do that. Great. Um, it has, it has positive systemic results, basically. Um, abscopal results, they're called like body wide results. So basically if you blow up something in your liver and you have something on your shoulder, there's a chance by blowing up something in your liver, it will, it will sensitize your immune cells to it and it will also help you attack the thing in your shoulder. So I'm like, all right, great idea. We should pat ourselves on the back. But Katrina also wants, she had um, a tumor in her breast and a tumor and a couple tumors on her back and she wanted to have them surgically removed. Um, we didn't really prepare for the surgery with anything. Um, I have a section on surgery in my book about how to, to lessen the metastatic effects of surgery. We didn't prepare for that. And the surgery was done, I wanna say four days after the radiofrequency ablation. Radiofrequency ablation, I don't know what happened, but I don't know if I've ever seen Katrina in that much pain, including during childbirth. Um, so, Basically, we went from walking a mile together in the hot Tijuana sun every day from the clinic to our our hotel, walking all over Tijuana. We're being so beautiful and just like helping everyone in the clinic. She needed to be pushed around in a, a wheelchair um, really soon after that, like within a week. 
and it turned out, um, you know, there were um, metastases around the surgical incision. It was a lot bigger of a surgery than she thought it would be. Um, it got into her spine. It, it just went downhill from there. Was there other people that were the the cancer had metastasized to the bone and the spine that you saw success with down there? It, that's tough. Um, yes, yes. But when a lot of them go back to America, they don't have as much success. You know, like some people um, don't realize or don't feel equipped to um, fight the long-term battle that is the war against cancer. So they believe the word's cured. Okay, you've been to Mexico. You're now cured because your PET scan doesn't show any metabolic activity. doesn't necessarily mean that your cancer is gone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... I remember hearing about people who had success um, when something was on their bone and it cleared up. It's, it's very difficult. Um, and, you know, the more advanced the cancer is, such as to the bone or to the brain, um, the more difficult it is to treat and the more it requires multi-year-long approach. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's like stacking as many things as you can together until you get the right recipe figured out for each individual success. Okay, so you guys came back home, but so you went down to Mexico. You said she got better down there, was able to fly back. Was this, but did she get the surgery down there? Yes. Okay, and she was still able to fly back? Yes, she was. Okay, all right. She wasn't really talking that much. At that time, when I got back, she went back with her mom, and I drove the car back. So I was three days behind her. Okay. As far as how difficult it was for her to fly back, I I don't know. Okay, so you guys got some really good progress on this second run of cancer, but then what happened? What? How did the thing fall apart? You said she got stressed out, or was the surgery too much? Or yeah, yeah. So. When you have a surgery, it can trigger metastasis. Um, it triggers inflammation. And that's why I devote, you know, a fairly substantial part of the book to lessening the side effects of surgery. Um, I even quote a mouse study that showed these mice that got, um, you know, a biopsy. They were more prone to not only tumors, but tumors right at the incision site. So I personally believe that the combination of the radiofrequency ablation, which was tough for her, and then the surgery so close together caused too much inflammation. And um, it's probably already in her, she already had um, leptomeningeal metastasis, which is basically the cerebrospinal fluid. So when you have cancer in the cere cerebrospinal fluid, it goes up and down the spinal column, 
Yeah. And it can see cancer anywhere in um, in the spine or in the sheath of the brain because it also covers the brain. And the average life expectancy is not more than six months, I don't believe. So she already had that. And I remember her telling me when we were laying around in the hotel room, she didn't feel a pain in her neck anymore. So, you know, it's kind of like a lesson about like, oh, is cancer ever really gone or is it dormant? It, you can maybe view it as gone if you fought it off for years, but more likely it's just dormant and it's waiting for you to slip up. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that many times where people just dietarily will, they go get detox, they they change their diet, they start eating living foods and sprouts and green juices and all this stuff. They literally heal themselves with their diet and their attitude and their lifestyle. And then typically it's like a woman and she heals herself and she's making two dinners, one for her and one for her husband and her kids. And after a couple of years, he's like, come on, let's get some pizza. You know, and they're like, oh, I want, yeah, and she's like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm doing good now. And then slowly but surely she gets back onto the, the inputs to that biological system that caused the problem in the first place. And I've told this story over and over again. And, and by the way, that one example I'm telling you about right now, the, the gal's cancer came back um, and, uh, and she lost her life. And she was doing so good. She was doing so good. So this, you know, I've, I've told this story before, but it's so important to understand this, that it's your environment that causes cancer, right? It's environment. It's not, I mean, genetically, it's less than probably 2%, 3%, okay? Um, so... The the story of the Great Lakes, all the fish, look this up in the 1970s, all these fish were dying in the Great Lakes, and they were washing up on the shore, and then the birds were flying down and eating the fish, and then the birds' eggs got very thin, and the birds were dying. This is a true story that happened. Do you think that the biology, the biologists, wh what do you think they were thinking? Oh, my God. What's in the water that's killing these fish? I had this discussion with my mother last night. My mother's battling cancer right now. And and, and she's like, well, she said, yeah, there's something in the water, Tim. Okay, it's common sense. If the fish are sick, there's something in the water causing this fish to die, right? And wash up on the beach, and then they get caught up in the food chain and affect the birds. Do you think in a million years those biologists would have thought, oh, my God, let's catch all the fish and put them on little gurneys all around the lake and hook them up to chemotherapy as an example. And that's what that's how we'll fix them. It's laughable, it's comical, it's absurd, it's stupid, but that's what we do to us. So if a fish is sick and they're dying on the bank, which happened, obviously everybody common sense goes there was something in the water that was killing the fish. It was their environment that was killing them. But when you look at a human being for some reason, Screw the environment. Oh, change your diet? Nope, don't do that. Um, uh, the people in your life that are causing you stress, your career that you're doing, that 74% of you are at a career that you don't like, you're not following your excitement, your joy. Um, there could be uh, your spiritual path, um, relationships, whatever it is, right? So you have all these things. These are all your environment. Anything that comes in, the air you breathe, the water you drink, the light, the lighting, the light. The lights in your home. 
You know, there was a, a car manufacturers in Detroit. They switched out the lights. They put in, instead of toxic fluorescence, they put in full-spectrum, white-spectrum lighting. What did they notice? Less people getting not sick as much. Mood improved. Less time off of work. Uh, the camaraderie and everything. Everything improved in, in just by changing out the lights. Well, of course, if you got somebody in a concrete box all day long, that's not natural. Being outside, that's natural, right? So it's the environment that's causing all of these issues for us. And again, that environment is the lighting, the air you breathe, the water you drink, the food you eat, the, the personal care products that you're putting on your body, the clothing that you're wearing, the people that you associate yourself with. These things are your environment. And so you have to start taking a look at your environment, right? And so, um, Josh, we're going to uh, let's just take another quick break. And then when we get back, we'll get into this. Uh, this the, we'll finish up your guys' story and then get into the solutions and a little bit about your book when we return. We'll be right back. The average person today is carrying around 6 to 12 pounds of impacted fecal material and mucoid plaque in the small and large intestine. That's gross, but worse, it's super unhealthy. That is why we created Gut Detox Formula. This ancient 1,000-year-old formula from India gently micro-cleanses the intestines, removing all of that funk and gunk and junk that is destroying your health. The best part? It is super gentle, and there is no diarrhea like most gut detox products, and it's made with the same chemical-free body promise, no stimulants, 100% nature, and always made in the USA. Get yours today at chemicalfreebody.com. What's up, Health Heroes? Tim James here. I'm back with my guest, Joshua Fulton. All right, so we've talked about your wife's story up to the point where she got cancer, conventional, she got better, it came back, didn't work, Tijuana, Mexico, alternative therapies, got tremendous success, but you think you did a couple therapies, a therapy and a surgery too close together, but she was, she had to drive there because she had so much pressure on her brain, but now she was able to fly back with her mom, then what happened? What what happened next? Oh, I don't know that we should really get into too much detail about it, but she she couldn't walk. Um, yeah, I mean, it just went downhill real fast. Okay. Yeah, when we got back home. You said she was under a lot of stress? Initially, yeah, she went through a stressful event. Um, she she managed to... I don't know. She, she kind of kept um, some of her stress to herself, you know? She, she was a bit of a warrior. Um, but from the outside, she seemed to be managing it very well. And her faith in God gave her a lot of strength. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what, I mean, what was going on with you and managing your children at this point, going through all this? What was that like? Mm, well, she really loved um, being a mother. So... You know, back in December of um, of 2019, you know, we were kind of out of commission for a good month where, you know, she was just basically in a hospital room in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And then we stayed in a hotel near there. Um, and then, believe it or not, you know, she actually took the two oldest girls on a trip to New York. 
you know, because like I mentioned, the, um, the conventional treatment was doing so well, it really didn't have many side effects. Um, we were building a new house um, from the beginning of 2020. And she spent a lot of her time kind of coordinating that. She was a real go-getter. Um, so, you know, she would kind of like be with the two youngest in 2020 who were both too young for school at that point. Yeah. And I would be at, at work and, um, man, it was, it wasn't good after she started taking like Katruda and your boy and, and the real kicker is your boy. Um, your boy has more side effects than Katruda. And I think they really need to look twice about the benefits of adding your boy into some of these drugs, um, the drug cocktails. But I mean, I would, I would do my job with the kids. We have, we have a lot of family. She would do more than her job. I mean, she was incredible. Um, yeah. And then, and then you, obviously she passes away at age 35. Now you're a single father. And what's that been like for you as a single dad? It's a learning experience to, I won't see, say be a mom and a dad, um, but to be the full parental unit to my kids. Um, I'm not used to like being responsible for taking them to basketball practice or taking them to school in the morning or making them lunches or making them dinners um, or coordinating everything. Like Katrina was a local and, you know, she has all this family here and she always had ideas about what to do to like on the weekends, you know, like Saturdays are our big family days. Um, so, I mean, I've done a good, I've done a good job, but there's a profound sadness you know, and that's why I I hope that everyone will just fight as hard as they can for the survival of their loved ones when they have the chance, because uh, it is a permanent loss. And you, you know, you get a little bit numb to it, but you never get over it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you've had a lot of support from friends and family to help you out uh, because, you know, that is tough. I mean, you got four kids and now you're you're taking care of everything. And it, <laughs> it's probably like, oh, man, was she doing a lot of work? <laughs> you realized how much she was doing. Yeah. So... I, I wish I had been more appreciative and sensitive uh, about that when she was living. Yeah, so for for anyone out there who has the the chance, you know, be appreciative of a homemaker um because it's a lot of work that you might not not know about. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, standard family, old school values, all this kind of stuff, it's usually the guy goes and he works and brings home the bacon type mentality, wife takes home the kids and the guy's like tired from work and then it's like you know, not doing dishes and stuff like that. And 
I mean, that's kind of old school stuff. I don't know so much now. I don't pay attention to it. But I I like keeping a clean kitchen. I'm a chef. I'm, I'm in there all the time. I'm meticulous about that stuff. But I know a lot of guys like my buddy Charles, he wants nothing to do with the kitchen. <laughs> like nothing. But, you know, the thing of it is, is like when you're forced into it, like you said, you realized how much your wife was doing. And it could be vice versa. The woman could be out. She could be a, who knows, president, vice president of some company. And the guys stay at home, uh, you know, taking care of the kids. I've. I took care of my son for the first year and a half of his life after his mom uh, breast milk dried up after six months and she got sick and then she got better, went back to work. And um, I had a friend that was, uh, you know, he took care of his kids. He stayed home. His wife had a kind of a VP big job and um, until he became a cop. And, you know, so but typically the roles are the it's the woman stays at home with the children and the guy goes out. And so I guess all that being said, all I'm saying is guys. Um, you know, go give your, your lady a big hug and God, it's a lot of work. Okay. Coordinating everything, making the lunch and you're trying to, it's like you're herding cats a little bit cause you got those kids running around, they're different ages. And then all of a sudden they start getting into sports and you are everywhere. You're going here, you're going there and you got to make sure they got food. And then there's, there's extra trips and there's out of town trips and they can make the all-star team and. And then they want to have sleepovers with their friends. Their friends are coming over. It's a it's a constant twenty four seven deal going on. So, ladies, for the most part, uh, shout out to you. Um, it is a job. It's a full time job taking care of a family. And we send you a lot of love and prayers for all the hard work that you do. And for the guys that uh, are doing that as well, or get thrown into it like Joshua did. Okay, so Joshua, what? Um, you you went through all this stuff now and then like let's just talk about your book uh it's called cancer self-defense 101 so because of the whole experience with katrina why don't you just chat about the book a little bit why you did it the book is over 500 pages long if i included the bibliography it would be over 700 pages long there's over 2,000 references in the book with a strong emphasis of on human trials. Um, you don't have to read all of that. You know, you might just be interested in the section on radiation. You might just be interested in the section on chemotherapy or supplements or food, whatever. Um, but I remember the sense of urgency that we had when Katrina was first diagnosed. So. I thought it was important to do a summary at the end of the book. So there's a 17 page summary that has every actionable step uh, that I outline in the book right at the end. So you can basically, if you don't want the background information, just go right to the summary. Um, there's also a section about like the most bang for your buck. So it, I, I write out, if someone has like $150, what can they do? And I break out like 10 things. If someone has $500, what can they do? All the way up to, I do mention like $100,000, but it's very incremental up until that point. Um, the book is very action oriented. So um, in the first in the first chapter, or like the first chapter of like any substance, it's like, what should you do after you get diagnosed? I mentioned the importance of 
going to a reputable hospital, not simply because like the care is going to be better, but because they're going to have access to different trials. So if we had gone to Duke instead of Chapel Hill, Katrina might have had a better chance of survival because in retrospect, I believe the, the trials were better at Duke than at Chapel Hill, even if the standard of care was the same. I also mentioned, um, you know, the having an integrative and a conventional, uh, conventional oncologist working together and, and the possibility of having like your tumor, if it's a solid tumor, for instance, sequence to see if there are any drugs that might be uh, available for that specific genetic mutation. Um, I, I agree the genetic theory of cancer hasn't borne much fruit, but there are some there are some drugs out there that have shown promise for specific mutations for whatever reason that might be. Yeah. Well, Berzinski's clinic is I've shown that. I mean, when he and you guys know I had Dr. Brzezinski on a while back. He uh great dude, like awesome guy. He was fought the FDA and they were trying to shut him down forever, like thirty years and trying to throw him in jail. And he basically, if you haven't seen that episode, go back and watch it. Dr. Brzezinski, um, a very high <clears throat> curate for cancer, um, looked at he was just studying stuff and he saw he wasn't like a cancer doc or nothing. He was just researching and and saw that there was these things called neoplastines in urine. It's typical. And but when people had cancer, they had no neoplastines. So he his conclusion was, I wonder if I put neoplastines in people with cancer, if that would help them with cancer. And it did. And it worked. And it worked a good percentage of the time, but not for everybody. But then through <clears throat> modern research and actually using some of the modern drugs, but more targeted gene research, but them going outside the box and be able to pair them in the way they wanted to with the neoplastines, they started getting um, upwards of like 80, 90% success rate with some breast cancers, which was tremendous. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? Um, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned him because he's very controversial in cancer care. Um, and I approached studying him with trepidation. I was like, am I, am I going to look like a quack? The worst thing right. that you could possibly be called in cancer research if I support him. But the people who criticize Brzezinski are actually the quacks, in my opinion, because they don't criticize the results. First off, he publishes his own results, which are all outstanding, right? So let's say his character is in question. <clears throat> We can disregard we can disregard those outstanding results. There are still numerous human trials of groups outside of his clinic, even in Japan, in Alabama, all over the world, especially in Japan, that have shown positive results with these anti neoplastons, which are just peptides. Like yeah. he it's was protein. literally decades um, ahead of the curve because they're doing stuff with that now. Um, there are there are peptide treatments out there. And just one last mention about Brzezinski. They were they were trying to get him on criminal charges. It wasn't just some administrative thing. He had to stand up to the federal government and say, I'm ready to go to prison personally if you guys win this case. And he won his case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, scary stuff. He's just trying to help people. <laughs> And they forced him to make the anti-neoplastines 
synthetic, which makes them not as effective as the ones. I don't know if he was getting them out of horses, so. Um, but anyway, he. Uh, <laughs> it's unbelievable. If you guys haven't seen it, go watch. Uh, listen to I, the interview where I had him. And then there's also Brzezinski, the movie. Uh, and there's a Brzezinski, like, part two. Just the beginning when that doctor or that uh, officer Schiff comes out and gives his story and testimony at Congress was like, it's very emotional and powerful. Well, the, the criticism of Brzezinski is that he's using a random. Uh, Joshua, you push mute on accident. He's using a roundabout way to operate his clinic. He got FDA approval to run these human trials, and he's using that as cover to run a private for-profit clinic. But the guy's got to make money somehow. He's helping people, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And he did it He did it within the law according to the court. Yeah. Yeah, awesome mm-hmm. stuff. All right, so well, we'll put a, I'll put the link down below in the show notes so people can go check out your book. Um, there'll be a clickable link on there. Is there any last words of wisdom for people that are dealing with maybe a recent diagnosis of cancer? There's, there's so much in that book. Um, two really simple things would be, how much time do I have? Because I can just lay it out in a few minutes. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Two things that are really simple and available to everyone in America, but not really in the UK, unfortunately, be high-dose melatonin in mushrooms. The reason I say it's not available in the UK is because I believe you're not even allowed to buy melatonin off of um, Amazon UK. I believe they incorrectly... Think of it as a hormone. Um, <clears throat> melatonin is produced by every cell that has mitochondria. <clears throat> it's not simply produced by the pineal gland. Yeah, pineal gland has a high concentration of <clears throat> mitochondria. Mitochondria has specific channels that allow the melatonin to get in. So the melatonin is an antioxidant specific to mitochondria. A lot of people think that mitochondrial dysfunction is a root cause of cancer, right? So like your, your cells can't produce enough energy to fuel itself And so it reverts to this more primitive state where it's using a different form of energy production. What might surprise people is that literally in cancer treatment, up to 1,000 milligrams of melatonin has been used successfully and without side effects. When When I say that there are a lot of human studies about melatonin in cancer, In the book, I don't simply quote studies. I quote meta-analyses. So studies of studies. Yeah. It basically, even just 20 milligrams a day, which is like nothing, can like, it improves overall survival by about double. Um, Another 
another great thing that everyone has available is um, mushrooms. So mushrooms are paid for, you know, they're reimbursable by insurance in many Eastern countries, um, like China, Taiwan, all this kind of stuff. Like <clears throat> mushrooms are a big part of their cancer treatment. Turkey tail mushroom, reishi mushroom, my community um, by host defense mushroom. Those also kind of, they tend to like double survival. And when I'm talking about studies, I'm talking about meta-analyses. I'm talking yeah. about there, if you want to compare the number of humans who have been studied with the effects of melatonin in mushrooms during cancer treatment and compare it to the number of humans who were studied with the COVID vaccination prior to it being pushed out to everyone. You probably have thousands more humans who were studied with melatonin and mushrooms. But um, like I said, the book is over 500 pages. Okay. It is written with action in mind. There, there's nothing, I'm not going to talk to people about like, oh, this pathway, this P10 pathway, this os boss pathway or whatever is due to like, it's not a biology lesson. It's like a war manual. Like this is self-defense 101 to go to war against cancer, which I hope to do more, more thoroughly with a clinic that I can start someday, but it is action oriented. Okay. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Um, I know what it's like to lose loved ones. Um, I've been around, um, I've coached over 300 people through the process. And um, I actually had a guy in his 40s that, you know, just passed away actually during the coaching that I was doing. And, um, and I'd known him for a long time before that. And because uh, he'd come to our classes and stuff, and then finally at the very end when he was like not doing that great, um, he's like, well, let me hire you. I want to see what I can do and pull this off. And what we found out for this guy was is that it was emotional trauma from childhood that was basically causing the root of his cancer. And he, thank God he was able to forgive his father before he passed away and like two days before three four two three four days before his, he passed he was able to finally release that and he gave me a synopsis and, and how he viewed life now and his father and I and I was like wow he he finally released that because his dad used to basically beat him because he had a learning disability and so while his brothers and sisters were out playing with the kids in the street he was watching them play every night but he had to do his homework because he couldn't get his homework done because he had, I don't know if he was dyslexic or whatever the deal was, but he could not literally process and get the homework done. It took him much longer to do it. And every day his dad would be like, if you don't get your your homework done, you, you can't play. And then his dad would come in and check on him. He's like, if you don't have this homework done in you know 30 minutes, I'm going to come up and whip you. And so he had all this anxiety building up every day, uh, five days a week with homework. He could get it done the weekends, but... Um, cause he knew he's going to get beat cause he knew there's no way I'm going to get this done. And so he had this whole 
childhood of just getting hit all the time because his dad was mad at him because he thought he was goofing off or something. And he was finally able to release that. So keep that stuff in mind when you guys are, you know, we're talking about, you know, probably, you know, drinking purified water, taking melatonin, mushrooms, all these things are fantastic. But we have to look to the deep root system of like what's really, don't forget about the emotions is what I'm getting at. And think about your past and go to places like, you know, we we actually have a healing center in, in Medellin, Colombia. I'm heading back there again. I'll be leaving tomorrow. I'll be down there for the event, the 3rd through the 10th of February. And that is a, you know, it's in a, yeah, we have healthy food and all that stuff. We'll teach you all that stuff. But the most important thing is we have five different ceremonies to help you get these emotions up and get them moving up and moving out of you so that you can heal. And it's the it's getting out of the head and living from the heart and getting and getting these emotions up and out of you, like vibrationally, crying them out. Your tears will be a different chemistry when this stuff comes out than if you got punched in the face or you got a, you know, somebody drops an anvil on your toes, you might cry, but the t- the chemistry of the tears will be different. It's been proven in science that emotional tears are different chemistry than a, you know, getting smacked in the side of the head with two by four or something. So keep this stuff in in mind when you're thinking about healing. This isn't just just the physical battle with the mushrooms and and taking green juices and this kind of stuff and therapies. It's also an emotional journey. And so I hope you guys keep that in mind. So Joshua, thanks again, my friend. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys. Much love to all of you. I hope that you never have to go through any of this. But statistically, I know many of you listening are or know somebody that is. So I hope this information helped. His link to his book will be down in the show notes. And until next time, change yourself, change your world. And I'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening again to The Health Hero Show. I'm your host, Tim James. And remember, change yourself, change your world. And we'll see you again on the next episode. Talk to you soon. You have just listened to The Health Hero Show with Tim James. (laughs) 